Miss Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Charlie Cooksey. Charlie is the founder and CEO of WePower, which facilitates communities in building power and leverages that power towards transforming our education, economic, justice, and health systems to be just and equitable for all. What a fabulous idea, Charlie. Thank you. That's a mouthful. It is a mouthful, (laughs) but it's an important mouthful. And, you know, I mean, I don't always say a lot in the introduction, but I wanted people to really get that you've got all these different systems that you're looking at and how to make them more just and equitable. And this is a incredibly important, very big, so many moving parts type subject. What a thing to take on, ma'am. Yeah. Where did this, where did this come from? Um, well, I have a thing for being quite ambitious and doing the most, hashtag doing the most. Um, but really, I would say that WePower is the realization to me of my life's purpose and what I have dreamed about doing since I was a little girl. So I'm a St. Louis native, was born and raised in North St. Louis City across the street from Fairground Park. And I often share my story as navigating the tale of two cities within a single St. Louis. And so um, lived on the same block my entire life. I'm 35 years old and six months. And so the first 35 years of my life, I was on that same block in North City, but also navigated other parts of St. Louis because I was playing tennis growing up and classically training for ballet. And so that meant I spent uh, most of my days uh, in town and country and Frontenac and Ladue and Clayton uh, and really just was confronted with a lot of whiteness, a lot of a lot of affluence and privilege, but also spent every day in North St. Louis City. And I saw the way that uh, my neighbors, my classmates, even some of my family members navigated crime, poverty, failing school systems. And so ever since elementary school, I was literally overwhelmed with how do I reconcile these two truths where one part of St. Louis has an abundance of resources and also doesn't recognize how... Um, how disparate things are and that there's a whole other world uh, that I come from. Uh, and what was most overwhelming was recognizing that um, surviving, struggling to survive, lack of resources, crime, uh, all of those things have been normalized for folks who look like me. And so I've been chasing this um, this dream to reconcile these disparities since I was a little girl because I knew I had a unique set of experiences, uh, which also to me meant I had a unique responsibility uh, to create a set of uh, conditions for folks who look like me to thrive, to have resources, to be well, to be happy, and to disrupt what we've been conditioned to believe is normal. And so to me, We Power is um, a culmination of that. And I'm just super grateful that I've been able to uh, do this work with my team and with so many community members. And it's so hard, but I learn so much every day. And I think it's it's still worth the the fight. Well, and and you know, to your point about these two very different worlds that you were privy to. I mean, I am amazed at how things are hidden from us. You know what I mean? Like me growing up and not having any clue. Mm-hmm. And and in fact, I was in conversation with a friend of mine yesterday and I was talking about how excited I was that I am learning about this entire Black history that was never taught to me when I was growing up. 
Um, I am a forever curious human being. I want to know what it's like to live another person. I want to see through their eyes. And we weren't, we weren't shown any of that. Yeah. Now it's, we're getting to see it. Yeah. We're, and, and now, it, you know, we're understanding that this is not right. Yeah. It's not how it should be. We need to change how we're doing it. So with we power, tell me like what you're doing. What yeah. are you doing to, uh, other than bringing it to everyone's awareness, what else? Yeah. So um, there's a few things we do. Um, and uh, I like to describe our mission in the most simplest terms as working with everyday people to build both political and economic power. So one of the ways we built the political power, or a few of the ways, is we develop particularly Black and Latinx women uh, leadership capacity. So we do trainings anywhere from three months to 12 months, all focused on how do I become an effective community organizer, advocate, how do I prepare to become a future appointed or elected leader. Uh, the other part of that political power building is we work with these same women to design policies that work for them and their families. So we're especially right now focused on designing equitable early childhood policies and economic policies. Um, and then third part of that work around political power building is like just actually boots on the ground doing the work. We develop the leaders, we design the policies, but we have to take action and advocate and run campaigns and coalitions to achieve that policy change. Right. So we provide the behind the scenes support so that our everyday leaders can be at the forefront of changes that can transform their communities and their families' conditions. So that's the political power building and the economic power building, which very rarely go hand in hand, which I think is what makes We Power so unique, is uh, we also work with Black and Latinx entrepreneurs. We believe that Yes, we need to shift policies and systems, but we also need to create economic resources that we self-determine and we can use to fuel a movement that is really led by us for us. And so uh, we run a business accelerator. Uh, we provide pretty much anything you think of through that business accelerator, access to capital, business coaching, marketing, connections, the whole gamut. Uh, but we also know that there's a huge uh, capital access gap for Black and Latinx entrepreneurs. So we provide access to zero interest loans and act up to $15,000 and access to investments uh, up to $200,000. So the idea is that we're trying to create a movement of civic and business leaders uh, that have a shared vision for how to transform St. Louis. And they do so through creating financial resources, but also creating uh, uh, new policies and systems. Oh my gosh, that is fabulous. I love it. And so... And I, and I love the entrepreneur side. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I became an entrepreneur really because I did not like the corporate world. I did not like trying to fit in there with, you know, and I, I'm old. Yeah. So <laughs> I was back when women were like, uh. yeah. Um, but yeah, when you are an entrepreneur, now you're really making your own way. Yeah. And you get to affect so much. Uh, but it's also really a difficult journey. Because being an entrepreneur, you take yourself on. I mean, not just, you know, in a financial way, but physically, emotionally, mentally, the, the whole gamut is there. So do you help them with that part too? Do you help support all the things that come along with this crazy thing called entrepreneurship? Yeah, yeah there's um, there's lots of books, but there's also, there really isn't a blueprint for being an entrepreneur. No, there is There's a blueprint for growing a business, but I wouldn't say there's not a blueprint for how to navigate the journey of being an entrepreneur. So um, one of the things we do, I've experienced myself as a social entrepreneur is 
there's trauma and loneliness, and you kind of spoke to that. And so we provide uh, a stipend for folks to access therapy and counseling uh, and to do what they need to do to take care of themselves personally so they are whole and well. Um, and that has been really cool to see the way that folks have used that. Unfortunately, uh, our first cohort kicked off right when the pandemic launched, and uh, we had a, one of our entrepreneurs lose her father abruptly. Oh, and so um, she was renting and scaling a business that now uh, sells their products globally, but was also navigating the death of an immediate family member. And so I'm just super grateful we were able to say, like, Here's some resources for you to navigate this. And also you're human. Like your your well-being comes first above the business because if you're not well, the business isn't well. Yeah, it won't, it won't be able to sustain itself. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this person, for example. What are they doing that they're selling globally? Yeah, so we work with all kinds of entrepreneurs. Uh, one of the key uh, sort of components of being an entrepreneur with us is you have to identify as Black and or Latinx. Uh, we want to see companies that have launched with some traction. They have a customer base, so they're beyond the idea stage. Good. Uh, as much as possible, we want them to be environmentally sustainable companies. Um, so we have companies that are uh, selling uh uh, facial products. We have companies that uh, are tech companies. We have one company that is uh, a competitor or on track to be a competitor, AAA, so providing a marketplace for roadside assistance providers uh, so that folks can access the most cost-effective assistance on the spot versus like paying a generic fee or standardized fee every month. Uh, we have companies that are doing construction. Uh, Really, anything you think of, we've been able to work with them. Uh, we have an urban farm that we have supported. Oh, so for cool. us, it's about what are the companies that can create uh, living wage jobs in our neighborhoods and who are the entrepreneurs who have a shared belief that we have to build communal wealth and collective power and that sees their role as an entrepreneur being bigger than themselves. Do you feel that a spotlight has been turned on North City in a way that's really going to help North City. I mean, I was at a town hall meeting that our mayor, Tashara Jones, had um, put together. And I was, I was just, I, I, I was speechless by the time I left listening to people and the stories of them sharing about how many bodies had been found in one woman's alley over the year and another one talking about their children having to sleep on the floor because of gunfire. Um, Another woman that keeps getting these um, from the city keeps, you know, they're like, you have to cut this tree down or you're going to get fined because it's going to die. And she's like, that is going to cost me two months salary. Mm -hmm. How in the world can I possibly afford to get this tree cut down? And I was just listening to these stories and thinking, okay, what what is happening with all of this? You know, like is 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 there a plan of action? And yeah. you know, you think, well, maybe there's some businesses going in there, but then that was creating a tax increase for some yeah. of these folks. So that's not really helping yeah. them necessarily. Yeah. Um, so that's that's loaded. It's a loaded <laughs> and it's, question. This has I also know. been my truth. Um, I know what it's like to sleep on the floor to dodge gun uh, shots and. I know what it's like to be robbed at gunpoint. I know what it's like to have family members incarcerated for nearly a decade. Um, I know what it's like to have family members navigate drug and substance abuse and uh, alcoholism. And uh, these are all truths of poverty. They're all symptoms of systemic racism. And they're all sy- symptoms of like 
divestment and lack of investment by design. And so um, it took decades, uh, honestly, centuries for us to dig ourselves into this problem. And it's going to take a long time to get ourselves out of it. Um, And not just time, but significant resources. And I think uh, in order for us to really address things at their root, we have to get honest about uh, the challenges that created the conditions, but also the resources necessary. I think that we are navigating a multi-billion dollar uh, systemic issue. And uh, I think there's a responsibility of our civic and business and uh, government community to put those resources there in a strategic way that uh, centers community voice and vision. And um, to me, it there's so many things that are part of it, but I think we have to reimagine what we define as uh, wealth. And one of the things uh, that that means is like we can't um, take a, a solution that works somewhere else and plop it here or also right. reproducing the same patterns and behaviors that have led to poverty and systemic disinvestment. So for WePower, we're focused on uh, communal wealth. How do we create wealth where um, the resident who lives next door to the other resident can share in the economic uh resources that are generated. Um, And so, yes, people are paying attention in North St. Louis now. um, But I think the question is who and what ways are they paying attention and why? Um, And my fear is that uh, we're going to see significant development for the first time in decades, but wealthy white folks are going to benefit from it and extract wealth from the folks who have stayed in North St. Louis City. So we have to have a serious conversation around as we pay attention to North St. Louis City, um, how do we truly center and follow the lead of black residents over there? How do we create structures and policies where they are able to access the wealth that will be generated? Um, We need things like community benefit agreements where as major developments, multi-million or even billion dollar developments like NGA continue to uh, launch in North St. Louis? How do we make sure that residents get to benefit from those things? How do we make sure that there's affordable housing? How do we make sure that we have a, a strong strategy around education um, that is culturally responsive, that is accessible? We just had a huge round of school closures in North St. Louis City. Um, so there's just so many challenges that are interconnected, but I think at the core of it, it goes back to power. And how do we make sure that um, uh the folks who traditionally have power aren't um, leveraging their power to continue to strip wealth. Right. Uh, and we still don't address the fact that black folks who have uh, lived there, chosen to stay there, and some, bl- some black folks who are stuck in North St. Louis, how do we address the fact that they have systemically been denied the right to use power in ways that can support their well-being? And it amazes me that that anyone would think that they're, you know, because we think, oh, land of the free and you can make your way in the United States. And it's like, not everybody. And and by design, which is so, it's such a, a an interesting topic. And, you know, I've talked to so many people that are talking about how do you design the systems around a community so that it really does work for that community it, rather than push them out so other people yeah. can make them you know, be like, oh, I'd buy a house there for, and right. I'm do this and yay me, yeah. you know, and you're like, well, that's nice. But then what happens to generations that have lived in North City? Yeah. Yeah. I recognize um, that there is no cookie cutter solution and that uh, to a certain degree, um, because we haven't been proactive about our solutions around community wealth building and economic development, gentrification is going to happen. I think the question is, how do we slow it? And then how do we um, 
uh, how do we mitigate the scale of it? Yeah. Um, or and maybe balance it a little yeah. bit so that the the community that's already there starts to uplift yeah. while these other people come in. Yeah. And I think that the other truth is that ton thousands of folks have left North St. Louis, so there really is a huge population decline. So there there's a lot of land and a lot of opportunity too. So to me, I think some of the ways that can be addressed is how do we incentivize first time ho- homeowners so that it there are folks who can transition from renting to owning. Right. Um, how do we incentivize folks to choose North St. Louis who otherwise wouldn't have chosen North St. Louis. Um, I think there's really cool organizations like Dream Builders for Equity that are doing development over there and they're only selling to first-time homeowners. Um, So I think there are solutions, but we have to like move beyond jargon, move beyond saying the right things, putting the right Right. things on paper and really put the resources behind those uh, and behind leaders who are doing things differently. Um, One of my fears is that we keep... uh, investing in the same leaders and the same institutions being led by these leaders. They might have different names and different uh, configurations, but we can't invest in the same leaders doing the same things who use the right words and expect different outcomes. Right, right. So let me ask you, because I think this is really interesting what you're talking about with first-time home ownership, because um, I'm a homeowner and, and I when I came to move to downtown St. Louis, my first thought was, well, I'll rent so I can get a feel for where I really want to live. Rent was crazy expensive. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, luckily I had a down payment, right? But that to me feels like the block yeah. is that if you don't have a down payment to put on a house, then you're not going to have this monthly mortgage that's way less than rent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. There's so many things. Before you can even put a down payment, you have to have a certain credit score. Yes. Um, And then I, so I just bought my first house and it took forever because I was trying to buy my first house in my family neighborhood in North St. Louis City. Um, But I want my house to have a certain look and feel and, um, and it was nearly impossible because uh, you compare, you have to get, approve for a loan based on the value of the surrounding houses. And so if you're surrounded by a lot of dilapidated houses, you can't even get approved for the loan you need to do a rehab of the house you want at the quality that you want it. So that's a challenge. Uh, And then on top of that, uh, it's the back to the appraisal. The challenge for me was um, even if I do make it past that, get the home loan, um, I would have to put hundreds of thousands into the house to get it up to what what it needs to be, but I could only sell it for a hundred thousand, even though I spent right. two to three hundred thousand on exactly. it. Exactly. So there's just there's so many ways that we decentivize investing in North St. Louis, and I think a lot of that can be solved through better policies and through a significant flow of resources there in a way that centers Black folks who live there and Black folks who want to return there. You have you have chosen a very big project, but thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Right? And thanks for the work you do. Because somebody has to do this. Yeah. So tell everybody how they can learn more about WePower. 
Yeah, so uh, you can visit our website, wepowerstl.org, or our socials. And we have a few upcoming opportunities. We have an active campaign right now focused on early childhood education. So if you go to our website, you can sign on to support uh, increasing public funding for early childhood through ARPA dollars, which would go towards increasing wages for child care educators. Or you can join our campaign focused on economic justice. Um, and we're looking for mentors, investors, uh, anyone who wants to support uh, economic development and entrepreneurs or uh, policy change. So, yeah. Yay. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Charlie Cooksey. So I have some questions for you. Okay. Um, I was, I do a little stalking on all my guests, find out what they're mm -hmm. up to, but I came across something you wrote in 2020 called Dear White People of St. Louis. I'm going to get emotional just talking about this. I was, it was very emotional. It was very powerful. And so I wanted to know, like, do you feel like you're getting through to, to us white people? Do you feel like I don't the know. transformational <laughs> shifts are there? What do you are think? Are we doing? <laughs> I would say probably not to the level it needs to be. But do you see any bit of, of help from, I, I will tell you, I was at a gathering recently and and I was thinking to myself while I was at this gathering, the feeling was these these were people that were just on this road. A lot of the people that were at the gathering are just like they were on this road. And that none of them were aware of the other things going on. And I kept thinking, do you guys ever just look? Do you ever just look and ask mm -hmm. and find out more and start to at least get the perspective on other things going out there rather than that straight yeah. road, you know, that, like, I'm going to be on this road. The, you know, I go to college, I get married, I have kids, I, you know, you know, that kind of thing. It was, it, I feel like it's not a part of a conversation that is being had in more places. Yeah. Like that, that to me feels like maybe the start, um, how would someone like I just introduce that subject? You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. what, what, because I found myself kind of getting annoyed and the, they have no idea. <laughs> I'm yeah. sitting over here a little annoyed, but I was just thinking, gosh, do you guys know what's really going on? Yeah. So I, so I guess first I would like to just share context on some of my theories and philosophies. I think we all have work to do. I don't mm -hmm. think I know we all have work to do. There's work for white folks to do. There's work for black folks to do, for Latino, Latinx folks to do. There's women's work. There's men's work. There's um, all kinds of work. And I think that um, one of the challenges is we try to conflate the different types of work that needs to be done. And so I think the work that I have to do as a black woman is different than the work you do as a white woman. Um, and so one of the guiding theories behind We Power is that there's work that we have to do as Black and Latinx folks to address the, the issues that are harming our communities. And uh, there's conversations that only we can have and we need to have in a safe space and a shared space. Right. Um, and that's true to me for white folks. There are conversations that need to be had, reckonings that need to be had, uh, work that needs to be done that has nothing to do with me. I know it needs to be done. I don't know all the answers, but right. I know that it's beyond time. Um and I think that uh, it's it's an uncomfortable journey. It's uncomfortable for me, too. Oh, yeah. Um, and that it starts with conversation. And I think that St. Louis has 
been having a lot of conversation, but now it's time to pair the conversation action. with action. We need action. And a, a, a redistribution of resources. Um, so to me, um, I just think that that's a conversation not for me to have or my, like insert no, myself that, in. That makes sense. But it's I know like it's it needs not to your happen. duty. Yeah. yeah. This is not your yeah, duty. Yeah. I got enough on my plate, people. <laughs> have your own damn conversation. You said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah. it's true. But, but also, I appreciate yeah. that because it really is. That it it is, it would behoove um, a person like me to, you know, which is why, one of the reasons I do the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Is like make people aware of, Here's some things for you to think about. And 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 so maybe within your family and you know, start yeah. in your own safe place yeah. and have the conversations go, do you know? Have yeah. you seen? I mean, I find it um I love that now we've got all these black directors that are utilizing movies and such to like yeah. bring information in front of people. I, in in fact, I I was just sharing this and I've shared it before about the whole thing that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma with Black Wall Street. I did not know. I saw a, I don't remember what show it was, but, and I thought the show was showing me an an alternate reality. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. On H, I know what you're talking about. It's so, a superhero show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Shoot, like, Night I, Watchmen. Is Watchmen. That it? Watchmen, so, yeah. So, uh, interestingly, my family's from Tulsa. Um, and so, during the pandemic, my mom had bought me a, a DNA test for through Ancestry, like, a few years before the pandemic. But I, I don't know why I had procrastinated on taking it. But I finally took it during the pandemic, got my results back, and then it it lets you know, like, who your family is. You can start building out family trees, going back uh, super far. And it turns out that... Uh, my great great grandpa was the pastor of one of the, if not the, major church part of uh, Black Wall Street really? on Greenwood, uh, in the Greenwood district. And then um, everything burned down because of the massacre. And then my great grandpa uh, built back up the church after the massacre. Uh, that was an anchor in uh, Greenwood district uh, where Black Wall Street was uh, central. And um, just learning my legacy, because uh, there's there's so much history that I'm not taught as a black person. Right, uh, right. Broadly, but also even about my own family, because we know the complexity of slavery and not even knowing how far back and deep our roots are, uh, because we've been stripped of our truths uh, because of so many harms done uh, in this country. Uh, but just through learning that journey and, and leveraging Ancestry.com, I'm recognizing that it's part of my legacy to, wow. to build black wealth and to create community. No and kidding. To, so, yeah, it's just there's just so many truths that uh, we need to wrestle with, that we need to dig deeper on and leverage the power of storytelling, understanding our family's history, our family stories, but also our collective stories. Because I think the more we know the truth, the more that we can uh, solve for those truths and the more that we can uh, not repeat history and, and co-create a better future. Right. Well, and, and help everybody to know that there's this whole history that you were not privy to, yeah. that you need to be privy to. Yeah. It was fascinating to me because I did. I thought it was an alternate reality mm-hmm. until I saw it again somewhere. Yeah. And then I went, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. And then I looked it up and I'm like, this is real. Wow. Yeah. N- but that's never all brought by up. design. Yeah, yeah, right. Never brought up. The history books must be inclusive. Like everything else. All right. So now I have more. What makes you laugh? 
What makes um, you laugh? Where do well, you Well, a lot the- of things. I'm pretty goofy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, good. That's a good thing. I think I actually have never been at. That's a hard question. I know. I've never consciously paused to think about what makes me laugh, but it's a lot of things. Um, I would say one thing that comes to mind is like just seeing people in their joy and authenticity. Um, people's joy, our collective joy, makes me laugh. It makes me smile. Um, just TV shows make me laugh. Um, I was hanging with my dad this past Saturday, and no shade to my dad, but he tells the same stories over <laughs> and over and over. And I don't think he realizes it, but I tune him out because he's always telling the same stories. But this Saturday, we hung out and got drinks, and he told like five new stories, and Ooh. they were just so intriguing and so I, I laughed a lot on Saturday um, but it was just really cool to again back to stories to hear his truths and his fumbles and the way that he navigated uh, it and the humor of like trial and error and his upbringing so um, I think at the core so much of who we are and what we do goes back to stories and so stories that are rooted in truth but joy and uh, and humor I would say make me laugh. I love that you have a goofy side because I think you need that with what Mm -hmm. you do. Absolutely. All right. And my other question for you is, was there something you ate a lot as a child, but there's no way you would eat it now? Like now you're like, oh, hell no. (laughs) Well, I loved, I love, not loved, I love Flaming Hot Cheetos. And (laughs) I used to- (laughs) My daughter loves those as well. I used to eat them every day. I'll go to a corner store and this is probably TMI, but I was like in elementary, middle school, and I grew up with my cousin who was like my sister, and so my mom would always fuss at me for eating them. She would say, don't eat those chips, Charlie. Your butter, your butt is going to be burning. <laughs> and she would say it in front of my cousin. So every time I got the chips, my cousin would say it and laugh at me, but I was like, I don't care. I like these chips. These are um, so great. Or these Cheetos. So I hadn't eaten them in years, and then for some reason, I was at the grocery store a few weeks ago, and... And I bought them and I bought the biggest bag <laughs> and I was sick too. And so I, um, I was coming home every night and I would take my NyQuil and I thought I would go to sleep, but I wanted these Flamin' Hot Cheetos so bad. So I would end my night with Flamin' Hot Cheetos and NyQuil. And I was like, this is horrible. So I like, finally threw combo. them away. Yeah, I threw the big bag away. And now I'm back to that being a thing of the past. I'm glad <laughs> to know, though, there's someone else that gets sick and wants to eat bad food. Because like, oh, I was bad. telling someone one time, I was like, I, had crazy I dreams do not too. go ever to, I like, very rarely have fast food. Yeah. But when I'm sick, I crave McDonald's. Oh, wow. The, probably the worst thing you could be eating for yourself while your body's trying to heal yeah. itself. I'm like, oh, fast food. Yeah. Let's have this. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> Flaming Hot Cheetos. That's hilarious. They are so good, but the, I'm not doing it again. There's actually some other Cheetos. I don't know what to call them, but I took my daughter for a little Mexico getaway, and with whatever Cheetos they had in Mexico, she loved them so much, she literally filled up her backpack oh, really? with five big bags of them to come back. Yeah. And I don't, they don't have them here, <laughs> oh, really? whatever they are, but I have to say, I mean, I'm not a big Cheeto fan, but I, I ate my yeah. fair share of those. Yeah. See, they're <laughs> so, special. <laughs> it's a Cheeto thing. I love it. Well, Charlie... Thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank for you for me. all you are doing. Thank you for being a guest today. And I, I just feel like 
you know, my hope is, and I'm, I'm with you, conversations are great, but we need the action. So thank you. Yeah. All right. Everybody out there, you have been listening to Mishmash Podcast. Go out there, have conversations, and then take action. Thank you all. Bye. Bye. Bye.